welcome to another episode of The Greatest Pod, where we discuss and debate what makes something great. I'm Ed Greer. I'm Ron Swallow. And I'm producer Bill. And today we are tackling the big talking point in pop culture lately, and that is the fact that nobody is making great movies anymore. I feel like this summer, Barbie and Oppenheimer, that double feature was touted as such a, a mini revolution for the theater going experience. The fact that suddenly we've got two inventive movies going head to head in the theaters. And it's something that feels like it hasn't happened in 25 years. And I just want to push back on that a little bit. I think outside of big budget tentpole films, outside of your Marvels, your DCs, your 10th Fast and the Furious, your Godzillas and Kongs, people have still been making really good movies. It's just they don't get the kind of big push, the wide release that so many movies got and such a variety of different genres of movies got in the, the 90s and the 2000s. And so today... I just want us to highlight some of the great original films that have come out in the past five years, which has really been the era of streaming TV and streaming taking over our lives. Despite all that, there are still great movies being made. And so I think as the greatest pod, we just need to give it up for those movies. Nice. All right. Well, as far as those go, um, you know what? I think I could kick off us with one that I and I want to uh, kind of tenor this conversation with like, okay, these are the type of things that we're going to say about them. We're not trying to give all the plots away and shit like that. But um, no. yeah, uh, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Mm. I saw it on Netflix. It's about this lady going through like a crisis and her fall into like a, a really crummy Portlandy like underworld. Yep. The shit is dope. The shit that happens if there's a shuriken involved or a shuriken or two, there's a lot of crazy shit going on in this movie. And I it's like it's part Big Lebowski, part Blue Ruin, part, you know what I mean? It's it's got all these different layers to it. And I I think that that's like something that shows the voice of this new era. Like um uh Emily the Criminal is another yep. movie. Emily the Criminal is a great movie. Dude, it's a great movie. And it is like a movie. It is not for sequels. It has, it wraps up and that's all that you need to know about Emily. You know what I mean? Yep. And I, I feel like uh, these movies have these sort of voices and they use some of the pieces of genre, but they use them in these inventive ways because we as an audience have seen everything a billion times. So some of these young filmmakers are really, are really making stories that um, are kind of unprecedented is what I would say. And I want to mention, too, I don't feel at home in this world anymore. You said it's, you know, a woman going through this. Not just any woman. That's Melanie Linsky, who is mm -hmm. a little bit of indie film royalty. Yeah. And I think a corollary to what you're talking about is there are certain actors who by no means fit the traditional definition of a movie star who are worth following the same way you might follow a writer or an artist in comics. Because yeah. there, there are specific actors making really interesting choices, and most of the time they end up in movies that aren't at all a big, wide studio release. Melanie Linsky is one, and Elijah Wood, who is also in I Don't Feel at Home in This World mm -hmm. Anymore. His post-Lord of the Rings career has been out of sight. It's just almost been literally out of sight, because he's doing nothing but these small indie movies 
but they're all bonkers and they're really worth a watch. Yep. Well, speaking of uh, bonkers uh, with 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 Elijah Wood and one of my favorite guys, he's not actually it's not Elijah Wood, but it's a guy I compare to them a lot because they got uh, fuck you money and decided to do whatever they want. That's Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen Weird Al, I actually think you're fucking up. <laughs> I love that. I love that. It, it is hilarious. It is hilarious. <laughs> So from what I understand, because I have not seen that movie, it's on my list of movies to see, but they're essentially spoofing the biopic and giving you no like real trustable information about Weird Al's biography. 100%. Yeah, which I think is hysterical and exactly what you'd want to do with a Weird Al biopic. Yeah, I mean, and it's so funny because Daniel Radcliffe gets super ripped in this. (laughs) He just acts like it's normal for (laughs) him to be ripped. And he puts a cigarette out on his hand. I mean, just all this crazy, goofy, fun shit that's like, and and it's, what's amazing about it is it is kind of over-the-top comedy, which Mm -hmm. is almost stupid. At one point, he gets all the girls because he, like, finally shows how good he is at the accordion. Sure. You know, as, that, and, as, as, as so often happens. Exactly. You know, just these little things where it's like obviously over the top, but also it's pretty meta that they're making fun of how biopic picks are, how salacious mm-hmm. they're supposed to be, how they make Elvis look, or they make all these other people. They look, they take these bad things about them and show them going through this terrible stuff. And a lot of times people like didn't really go through all that bad stuff. They just kind of like maybe had one or two mistakes and we're fine. Well, it also, I mean, I think biopics tend to really lionize their subjects too. Yeah. So it's like, what is in reality, just pieces of a person's life out of necessity of crafting the biopic gets woven into this like huge moments of triumph and tragedy when really like it never actually went down that way, but you need it to, for the sake of a movie. And I think leaning into that artifice, like really lampshading the fact that you can't really trust how we're dramatizing these events is genius. I mean, that's what you want, especially in an era where you're getting such paint by numbers bullshit biopics like Rocket Man, like that fucking Freddie Mercury biopic that they made. Like it, it's it feels like it's just been more and more formulaic ever since Walk the Line. And like I, I think that's a great way to push back. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that well, if we're doing meta, then I mm. think the next graduation is the ultra realistic one to the point where it's just taking like maybe all their low moments. Like you never get to see them on stage or anything. You just get to see all the low moments. Like do walk the line again, but like have that time that that ostrich kicked Johnny Cash's guts out and he almost died. And he Uh was like laid up for like a year and a half. Couldn't play music. Couldn't do anything because his guts were out because his pet ostrich kicked the shit out of him. They didn't put that shit in walk the line, but that totally happened to him. <laughs> it is totally dramatizable. You see the scene, right? There's a close up on the ostrich, a close up on him, and he's like, "Hey, what's going on, Mister Fluffles?" Whatever the fuck you see that foot rear back, and like, pow, and he's like, "Oh, goddamn, my guts are out." 
Yeah, and this is like, why you're not supposed to get wild animals. <laughs> and you know what I'm saying? And he has to crawl back through the hay all the way back to his house. And his house is like far away, like that painting with the lady that's laying on the lawn. And there's a far away, horrifying, far away yes, house. Yes. You get that shot. And he's like crawling through the horse manure and shit with his guts out all the way back into the house to call, to fucking claw the phone off the thing. Hello. And call the, oh, man, come on. And meanwhile, man. an ostrich is trying to eat his guts at the same time. Pecking. <laughs> yeah, it's just pecking. <laughs> <laughs> and it, gets, it, gets, it gets distracted after a little while and walks away wanders <laughs> but, around yeah but anyway the point is like yeah it's something like that's just so fucking stupidly almost non-dramatically realistic i think right. those are coming is all i'm saying i think those i think they should come well and and so <laughs> i there's two ways i can go with this i did want to talk about another actor that i think is worth following but Mm. on that point a movie that i want to bring up when you talk about a movie that just leans all the way away from realism or all the way into absurdity i don't know if you guys have seen this but barb and star go to vista del mar with seen it oh my god dude so Kristen wig and her her writing partner annie mumolo wrote this movie that's about these two like Midwest biddies going to Florida. And if you've ever seen um, that movie with Ed Helms, it's Cedar Rapids, where it's like he is just the most sheltered dude in the world. And he goes to a convention, like a work convention for accountants in Cedar Rapids. But it may as well be like the most debaucherous time in the world because of who he is. Yeah. That's that's what this movie kind of is, but like it's so absurd. So Barb and Star, these you know, they're just like Wisconsin biddies, and they're gonna go on a trip to Florida to get their mojo back. <laughs> and then like they encounter Jamie Dornan, who was Christian Gray in the Fifty Shades of Gray movies, and he like he can't decide which of them he wants to like have sex with first, and then they somehow get wrapped up in like a spy plot that's like the most absurd. It's like too absurd for an Austin Powers movie. And somewhere in there, there's a talking crab voiced by Morgan Freeman done with like (laughs) ridiculous puppetry. I, I saw this movie, I think around when it came out, because I think it went straight to streaming during the pandemic. I don't remember a lot of the plot points, but it was hysterically funny and was just a real showcase. Like if you, you if you had any love for what Kristen Wiig did on SNL, this movie is like the greatest showcase of SNL Kristen Wiig you've ever seen. Well, yeah, I, I think that to me, that's a great example of a movie that like is never going to be a blockbuster and was not intended to be a blockbuster. And like, I don't even know how you market that movie. And the fact that like probably very few people listening to this have heard of it or seen it is a great example of like, just because it doesn't make hundreds of millions of dollars doesn't mean people aren't making really enjoyable movies. We we talked a little bit about Emily the Criminal uh, at the beginning of the pod. And Aubrey Plaza is another person whose filmography is just hands down great. Like, yeah. Yeah. if you see that Aubrey Plaza is in a movie, watch that fucking movie. And she made a film with Elizabeth Olsen called Ingrid Goes West. And in Ingrid Goes West, Aubrey Plaza plays essentially a social media stalker who is completely broke and a little mentally off. 
And she uses social media to kind of baldly insinuate herself into the life of like somebody she becomes obsessed with um, from following them. And then shit goes off the rails from there. And it's a little bit of a dramedy because it's not as slapstick as it might sound from that description. Um, But again, for a movie with an indie sensibility that was clearly made on a shoestring, but just features really standout performances in a really sort of empathetic and inventive script. Ingrid goes West. And, but again, almost everything Aubrey Plaza does deserves a mention. Yeah. Well, she, she does. She does really cool choices because I think she knows that her instrument is like a certain kind of guitar. You know what I'm saying? And you can use it to play all types of music, but it is a guitar and she doesn't go for parts where she has to be a trumpet. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, do that shit, dude. They're like, yep. okay, I could be a trumpet. I'm Zach Efron. I'm gonna play Jag or Hoover. You know what I'm saying? Like one hundred percent. They do that. all types of shit. Did he play Jed Jedgo Hoover? <laughs> no, but it's something he would do. Would do. Where yes. it's like, I'm a pretty boy beefcake. Let me let me play Abraham Lincoln or something like that. <laughs> I could one hundred percent see that happening with Zach. Efron. Putting on a fat suit. Come on, bro. Yeah. But um, as far as I, I I know, I'm probably gonna bring up a billion Netflix movies, and I think it's good because we have a deal with them starting today. No, um, uh, no. <laughs> Uh, I, it's funny that like Netflix is such a dumping ground. I was over somebody's house and they had like, like the, the a paltry array of services, perhaps the crummy version of Netflix, the crummy version of Hulu with fucking ads and shit. It's like, what the Ugh. fuck is going on over here? I'm, I'm dying. Yeah. And we were looking through Netflix for stuff and it was like a slog, but I think it's because they make some of their gems like hard to fucking find mm-hmm. because there's so much content. Because uh, one I'm just going to mention right now, um, uh, I've mentioned one before, uh, Blood Red Sky. I think that's what it's mm. called. It's like a combination uh, German-English production. And basically, it's about this vampire lady that's on a plane. And it's flying towards like the sun and shit. And then some bad shit happens on the plane, not even involving her. And she's got to be like, fuck, I'm like John McClane on a plane and mm-hmm. I'm a vampire man, you know what I mean? She's she's all fucked up, and that does the and like it even has flashbacks to her life before, and it's like fuck, dude, this is such a fucked up way to have become a vampire and to have such a uh, uh, problem that she has in the in the story. It's just fucking great. I liked it like a lot, frankly. Yeah. And another one of these that I maybe wasn't as viscerally uh, cool every second, but was very stirring in me was this movie called The Ritual. Oh, and I it's love about, that movie, dude. dude. It's about these buddies who they're bonding over the fact that their their buddy died in a senseless act, and one of their friends showed like extreme cowardice, quote unquote, during that, and he has that cross to bear. And then the rest of them are like maybe kind of looking at him askance, and they're all out in the woods, and they're just doing all this bullshit. They end up in basically Norse legendy sort of woods with a crazy like elk beast stalking them through the woods and a cult like group of people that are like trying to sacrifice them to the thing or something. It's a bunch of crazy shit. Yeah. And it's like, guys, it's like, it, it would be, it's like an episode of stranger things with grown ass men who thought that they had grown past the magic. You know what I'm saying? But, but like more intense, almost like the, an Ari Aster movie sometimes. Yes. I mean, the thing that that movie, I, I'll say this, that is the best cult focused horror movie that I've seen in a long time, maybe ever like, and on top of that, it blends genres of horror because there's definitely cabin in the woods style horror. You know, people go hiking and get lost Blair, Witch, the descent that, that style of thing. 
but it doesn't devolve into the straight, oh my God, we have to escape the monster. Like there's more going on with it. Yeah. And there's more character layered into it too. Like the whole thing about how the friends, like that simmering tension underneath mm-hmm. the friends plays out so wonderfully. Like that movie is, if you just want a good hair raiser and uh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting too excited about this movie. The monster design in that movie, one of the greatest I've seen in a really, really long time. Dude, if that movie had goddamn, I don't know, uh, whoever's a big actor now in it, Margot Robbie going into the woods to fight this thing, everybody'd be sucking this movie off. Like yeah. it's it it would be amazing and make a billion dollars. But but it, 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 on the same budget, besides yeah, you know, the, 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 the talent fee, uh, the, the ritual. ritual. I'll say, I don't know why, but I always feel every time I think about that movie, I feel like the main character should have been Daniel Bruhl, um, mm. the guy who plays Zemo. And, and no disrespect, because that I think Riz Ahmed plays one of the one of the dudes in that movie. Like they're all good actors. Um, but yeah, it's like they just needed somebody with a little more clout to their name to play the main character. And they would have taken it over the top, I think. The thing about Netflix, they do a lot of really good mid to low budget horror and sci-fi movies. One I want to bring up, there's a movie on Netflix called Stowaway, starring Anna Kendrick, who's always watchable. And it is about the first mission to Mars and an extra dude ends up on the ship. And like, it's oh shit! I saw that. Did you see this movie? movie. I saw that fucking movie. I think I saw that too on something, and I clicked it, and I was like, "Ah, I watched this, and then it was so absorbing, and I was like, "Oh my fucking one hundred percent, dude!" Because they, first of all, it's like they don't play it out like you would think in a movie like that. It's like. Oh, that guy's got, you know, some ulterior motive and he's trying to sabotage the mission and it's going to turn into a thriller for those reasons. No, they discover the stowaway in like the first 10 minutes of the movie. And then it turns into this whole survival thing because it's like, well, shit, we don't have enough supplies for a whole ass extra person on our three year trip. And like, we don't, we aren't going to be able to turn around and like drop him back off on earth. It's a little bit like the Martian in that way, where it's mm. really this this brass tacks of like, oh my God, this is a horrible thing because it's an almost unsolvable problem. And then again, there's some really good character stuff layered in on top of that. Yep. Yep. I agree. That's a great movie. Yeah. It's funny because you know, Netflix in particular has this whole strategy where it's like they just drop a new movie and they straight up like don't promote it. Other than putting it like on the top of their scroll where it's like, oh, new releases. Oh, what the fuck is this? Like they'll drop a movie like that with a straight up movie star in it. But you will have never seen a trailer. You will have never seen a poster. You will have never seen a fucking Instagram post. And it's Mm -hmm. it's wild to me because they are pretty good movies. Yeah, I think uh, like this maybe we're off topic a little bit, but I think a lot of these corporate like to, to do kayfabe, get a kayfabe guys. Uh, I have a day job where I, I deliver weed mm. and we just unionized and I'm kind of involved with like how that's all going. And to see how corporate people behave makes you understand why they miss things like this. 
mm. why they don't like our company could be spending a bunch of money um, coming up with more ways to get people to want their weed delivered to them. Hiring, you know, people from TikTok, do, doing whatever, trying to market, right? Sure. They're not doing any of that. They're just hoping it all works out because they cut costs and that's all they think about doing is, okay, well, now this business exists. We have this many people. Let's cut costs because that's going to make our our amount of money go up. So like Netflix made somewhere around $32 billion uh, in profit. The, anybody who tries to tell you that they're not a profitable company, they're fucking lying. They made $32 billion fucking dollars. They're doing great. And that rise is somewhere around 25% from 2019 or 18. So they could be spending money when a movie like that, that is so interesting and great, comes out letting people know about it. They could do that. But instead, they're just trying to peep people less money. So that's the bummer about Netflix. But at the same time, they are putting out the movie. Yeah. I And I think part of their corporate strategy, I don't think you're off base with anything you said. I think the other part with Netflix in particular is they kind of want you to randomly stumble across good shit. Like, yeah, like they blockbuster. Exactly. Like they don't want to front load all of their good shit. They don't want you to know and to watch immediately because then I think psychologically you end up with this sense of like, oh man, there's good shit on here that I've never even heard of makes you feel like there's more value in your Netflix subscription rather than just feeling like, oh yeah, you know, there's the top 10 and then there's all the other bullshit. Yeah. And in theory, it should start a conversation like we're having too, right? Like there should be movie dudes who like, you know, people who are into this type of genre watching it and they have their Facebook groups and they're messaging each other. Like, have you seen fucking stowaway? That shit is crazy. You know, or, you know, uh, whatever the ritual you see in this stuff, like that's, you know, starting conversation. So maybe in some ways it's a, it's a cool way to start conversations, but you know, at the same time, like it'd be great to see some of these movies to, to get a warning about some of these. I don't know. Well, and also everybody, I think it's a, it's a key point right now to point out that like the taste of the populace is as fractured as it's ever been mm-hmm. you know so yeah, like some some of the movies that we're talking about that we're like because i want to talk about uh i literally saw this one time on a plane and skipped through parts of it oh, swear boy. to god but it was pretty good uh it's called uh bodies 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 and it had yeah. uh, <laughs> dude, it had pete davidson in it and a bunch yeah. of young gals i'm being sexist yep. by not knowing their names or look it up right now but the point is that it was just a beautiful like drawing room drama set inside like a hurricane like a bunch of kids go to a rich person's house a rich person's daddy's house to have youthful fun while the hurricane basically blows over and doesn't do anything but they're hunkered down having fun and have an excuse to get really high and fuck around with each other and it's about this sort of incestuous group of friends and a couple of outsiders and then a drawing room mystery a drawing room murder mystery starts to happen with gin zers a like clue type movie but serious with yeah. Gen Zers. Well, yeah, Ariel, it's Ariel fucking went, amazing. Ariel, on some Ariel loved that movie, and then I had to watch it too, and it was great. <laughs> I loved. I also loved that movie, and it 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 very much was like an Agatha Christie mystery. It's like ten little Indians 
but yeah, with a with a Gen Z cast, mm-hmm. and also some of the twists in that movie are yeah. fucking great. Yes. And like it's it, the, the way it ends is just so pitch perfect, like unbelievable mm-hmm. ending on that movie. Yeah, it's it's really good and really and really tight in its own way. Like I said, when I was watching it, I didn't have that much time left on the plane, so I was having to skip some parts. I was like, okay, I see that she's chagrined over this. Oh, wait a minute, there's a scene down here in the basement with this older guy. What's happening here? Yeah. Oh shit. You know, like, <laughs> so I I watched it and it was like and I'm going to watch it again just to see how like a normal person would have seen all that stuff build, but I liked it and it was like again one of these stories where I think 10 15 years ago you don't tell that story in that way. You don't tell that story period. You don't market to those kids. You don't yep. do any of that at all. Yeah. I it's agree. surprisingly clever. It's like a Gen Z knives out or something like that, you know. Yeah, and and by the way, as long as we're talking Netflix and murder mysteries, both the Knives Out movies were also released in the past five years. And yeah. while those aren't necessarily under the radar, uh, a great example of just fun, inventive, very off the beaten path type of movie being made in an era when supposedly that's not happening. And I know people have talked about those movies in that way, but it's still worth bringing up. Well, but the, but let's just talk about what the path is, right? Because the path mm-hmm. changes through eras, mm-hmm. right? In the seventies, that would have been, Oh, that that's exactly what you do. You get a bunch of known actors together to clash against each other in one set that we could shoot on the back lot. And we're going to make this like the fucking Poseidon adventure. It's going to be a huge thing for all these actors. That yeah. isn't how things go anymore. That right. isn't the path. So now that's why it's off the beaten. And and that type of story where they're all chatting at each other. Uh, I'm British all of a sudden. They're all talking <laughs> to each other uh, about all this shit and all these, all these old wounds and new wounds are being revealed uh, in this group of friends, you know, like the, like the Agatha Christie thing that's off the beaten path now. Cause people frankly are too, and I always sound mean, but like, I think writers these days, at least consider themselves too stupid to write good mystery. I think very few people challenge themselves anymore to write good mystery. I think it also goes back a little bit to Ron's analysis of the corporate mentality too, where when you're trying to, especially for a Netflix or an Amazon or something, when you're trying to make a movie that is going to be read across cultures you just don't even want to hassle with the nuance of trying to make a mystery and the logic and the reveals mm. all work. It's mm. like, I think it's less maybe that writers aren't interested in doing it and more that financiers just don't want to take that chance. And that's a know, great point. Yeah. I think, I think knives out again, not that people aren't making those types of movies, but that's a particular magic where it's like Ryan Johnson with the clout that he has pairing up with like this laundry list of a-list stars and then just kind of bullying netflix into really backing it (laughs) i I mean really like that's what happened (laughs) it's like let me do what i want it's gonna be good people are gonna watch it like yeah just do it well that voice that i mean having a really a real screenwriting voice i think what's interesting about a lot of these movies is we're gonna be talking about people who did this movie or Mm -hmm. that movie but like <clears throat> allowing yourself to get enough credits to become like like Ryan Johnson to have a voice like he's been doing this gumshoe drawing room bullshit since Brick really even yeah. Looper is like a, a sci-fi action movie version of people in rooms talking about feelings. Yep, yep. agreed. And and honestly, like that's a style of movie 
that nobody thinks of when they're when you ask them like what's the type of movie that we need more of but i'll go on record we need more of those types of movies i mean in a lot of ways some of the greatest movies of all time and i was thinking about it when you were talking to ed about just like let's take a bunch of great actors and put them in a room like almost every sydney lumet movie is just that type of drawing room like there's a bunch of shit going on between us and we need to get to the bottom of it type of thing. Even Hitchcock movies, you know, it's like that is at the heart of like what people think of when they think of great cinema. And for whatever reason, we've just put it out of our minds. And I I think that's a real loss for, again, not even a loss for the art form because people are still doing it and trying to do it, but it's a loss for the audience really that mm. it's not on anybody's front of mind when they think about like what's a movie I want to watch. Yeah, and we've talked about this a little bit in previous uh, episodes, uh, like the 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 problem with genres and and what's the new thing that's going to happen in 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 the future and stuff like that. But I think big portion of this is the streaming situation makes it hard for movies. You know, it used to be that a movie might stay in a the movie theater for a year. And then mm. get some in three months, get like, like people are all of a sudden talking about it and it's been out for three months. And then they're like, oh, I'm going to go see this movie now. And it starts to become popular. And then on top of that, then you're excited about the DVD coming out. It's going to come out in a year and you're waiting for that DVD because you're like, I can't wait to rewatch this movie that I enjoyed so much at the theater. In fact, I'm going to bring my one friend who couldn't have, who couldn't go to the theater at the time or, or whatever, you know, it's, it kind of kills that while it also brings, uh, you know, more, just more stuff into your face over and over again. And you have to weed through it a little more. Um, And people now, you know, it's funny that you discuss that dynamic because now I feel like if you've heard about a movie and it's not immediately available in your home for free, you're pissed off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and like look, I'm I'm someone who very much advocates like, oh, we need to moderate our viewing habits, but I have that experience all the fucking time. For sure. Where it's like, shit, I keep hearing about this movie. All right, let me go, you know, check it out on whatever streaming service and it's like, fuck, the only thing I could do is rent this on Amazon. Fuck that. You know what I mean? But like <laughs> but that's it's because just you... such a weird dynamic. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so weird because you got rid of cable because you were annoyed with cable because it costs too much. And now you're paying for 17 streaming services and you're paying the same as cable. So now you're paying the same, but it also makes messes up your, your movie going experience a little bit as well. So, it, I mean, it well, demands that yeah. everything change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and that's the thing about like subtly they're trying to get us to argue for less channels of distribution because more things mm. would be in your TV automatically if there was less channels of distribution. You'd have to get yeah. with this gang or that gang. And it's all of a sudden it's like, nah, fuck that. I order Barks root beer. Fuck a Coke and a Pepsi. I know they're owned by them or whatever, but God damn it. I got to make a stand somewhere. Uh, yeah. Speaking of which, that's that sort of effort of like, oh, it's not in my TV already or even the effort of reading subtitles because I do want to acknowledge Parasite isn't just, and I think I'm talking to some people in our audience, Parasite isn't just some Oscar shithead like uh, movie. It isn't, yeah. it isn't for people who love the fucking Oscars. The Oscars acknowledging it was one of the most ironic fucking things I've ever seen in my life. 
it was like such false advertising for the messages in the movie Parasite mm-hmm. to have the Oscars vouch for it in this way. And I know that that may have turned some of you evil fucks like me off if you didn't see it beforehand. But I'm telling you, if you haven't given Parasite a chance because it won uh, uh, Oscars, don't do that. It's 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 totally immaterial to how fucking great and powerful that movie is. I think Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite, is one of those people that, you know, in his case, it's because he's he's a foreign director, but like really works outside of what you think the mainstream is. But you should just seek out anything he does because it's fucking awesome. And yeah. like he's he's one of those talents that's just it's he's worth following no matter what he's doing, what genre he's in, whatever. Watch his movies. Yeah, if you're one of those comic book fans who like picks out a specific writer that you love to 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 watch, that's the same thing with this dude. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So I want to bring up uh, as long as we're talking writers, directors worth following, the card counter. And the card counter was Paul Schrader, uh, who famously the writer of Taxi Driver, has had somewhat of a resurgence in the mm-hmm. past five, ten years. And um, he continues to make movies about kind of disaffected dudes on the fringes of society. Uh, I know he did First Reformed with Ethan Hawke as kind of a... Um, a uh, extremist priest, if I'm not mistaken. I never saw that one. It's again on my list. But the the card counter was a small little movie with Oscar Isaac as a professional gambler, counting cards and getting into some shit. And the stakes were never super high, but as just a fantastic little slice of life, character-driven story with great performances from kind of unexpected actors that movie kicks ass and you want to put something on on a Saturday because you just need some edification from a great artist. Fucking watch the card counter because Tiffany Haddish, Oscar Isaac, Paul Schrader, just a a meticulously done kind of classic 70s style movie. 100% and and includes very realistic gambling. (laughs) Which Ron loves. I do. Oh, dude, Ron is a stickler for realistic gambling. <laughs> I, just, but I, I, I agree with you, man. I just yep. think if you're going to put gambling in there, like do a little research on the gambling. And they clearly did that in this thing because like it, it it's interesting that the main character, like he goes and he does, he just wants to play cards and he does, he does gamble. And he's, of course, he's, every gambler looks for a big hit or something like that. But also good gamblers know how to win a little bit and fucking get up and go. And, Mm. and, you know, like they kind of portray a little bit of that in this. And I, and I just kind of liked the way they did it. So yeah, that's it. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, (laughs) well, and, and like a, uh, well, okay. You guys wanted to talk about the green Knight. I personally have not seen that. I will let you guys talk about the green Knight in exchange for being able to talk about the Northman. So let's go. (laughs) (laughs) I think Ron was higher on the green Knight. I have seen the green Knight. Uh, it is visually spectacular, but it kind of lost me with the pace. So I don't know, Ron, what's your thoughts that's, on the green? I, honestly, that's pretty much how I felt too. Like, okay. I just thought it looked really, really, really fucking cool. Yeah. Just looked incredible. And the story, honestly, uh, I'm like, you guys know, I, I read some fantasy. I'm, I'm deep into your mysticism kind of stuff. And 
the Green Knight confused the shit out of me a couple of times. Honestly, <laughs> um, it's like it's based on a, a classic sort of Celt folklore, from what I understand. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's told in sort of the most oblique and hard to understand way possible. Um, which sucks. You know, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of stories that do that. Um, yeah. I, it's one of those things where like, look, I actually enjoyed it and, and I would suggest you check it out, but you do have to keep that in mind when you watch it, because it is, it's one of those things where like, you're almost too smart. You're almost too smart. Do you know what I mean? Like you're like, yeah. people will get this. It's fine. You know, or, or to be less charitable, you're going like, People aren't going to get this. And that's, and that's what point. I want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there was a little bit of that in there. And and sometimes that can be fun. And other times it can be uh, David Lynch, who you guys all know I fucking don't like. <laughs> I, I'll well, say for the Green Knight, it's like a David Lynch movie without uh, all of the interesting weirdness. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Well, I mean, let's get into some of the weird shit because Annihilation came out. Oh, in 2018, right? Okay. And I just, I think this section of the conversation is going to be about some of the movies that are either like visual hits, but sometimes story misses for you in particular, not for the world. Uh, I don't know. I've, I've, I've tr- watched a lot of Annihilation, but I've never been able to see it all together. And I don't know, you know what I'm saying? It always looked really cool. And I love Dude. Alex Gardner. So I know I have to see the whole thing. I, I'm going to give it up for both Annihilation and and men which is alex garland's uh next movie after annihilation Mm -hmm. men also spectacular yes alex garland works this is the guy who did x uh, x machina x machina he also did that show uh, on fx uh devs with um ron swanson from parks and rec nick offerman playing kind of like a genius tech guy who's doing something really mysterious another great show but all of these all of these stories are told in a very slow and methodical way. Um, both Annihilation and Men are are no exception. I think both movies, though, if you give them that indulgence, are super, super satisfying at the end. I think Annihilation is probably the better of the two movies. The ending of Annihilation fucked me up, but like in a great way. That whole movie, I think, is more interesting because it really luxuriates in the fact that, like, oh, no, the whole movie is essentially like an Alice in Wonderland tale of taking this woman and just plunging her into sort of this horrific dream world. Um, But it all builds to something that is so satisfying on both, uh, well, on a visual level, on a plot level, and on a deeper theme level. Uh, and the whole movie is sort of about overcoming grief and like what grief does to a person. And the final sort of showdown in the movie is just a super great visually inventive, thematically rich interpretation of that internal struggle. Uh, it's a it's a great, great piece of filmmaking. Annihilation. Nice. All right. Uh, and so it also I, has Oscar Isaac. So, Hey, that's true. Uh, Oscar Isaac, another guy, like most of his choices are on point. I'll, uh, I'll see your annihilation and, and raise you, uh, as far as super weird shit, horse girl. So, <laughs> oh shit. That, okay, you know what? Horse I saw girl? that. Tell me about lot, this guy. Just, just real quick for my contribution. Cause I haven't seen this movie, but 
I saw the script and I was going to read it. And then I read someone's synopsis of it and I decided not to. Oh. <laughs> so the, 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 what, what, what is horse girl? Because like, like I said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a uh, blacklist screenplay nerd. Sure. So like when I saw that on the blacklist, I was like, they're going to fucking make this weird thing. What is this? And then I probably read cobweb or something else. So what, 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 what is it? All right. So it stars Alison Brie. Um, who I think is another one of those actors that just makes really good choices. Uh, yeah. The rent, the rental, which was directed by her husband, Dave Franco, starring her starring Jeremy Allen white from the bear. Um, and then the other dude in that movie is a well-known actor. Um, who's Oh, Dan, Dan Reynolds is the guy who played the beast in the live action beauty and the beast. He's been in a lot of other shit. Great cast. Um, but another actress, Alison Brie that I think is always worth watching and makes really interesting choices. Horse Girl is essentially about an introverted girl who starts suspecting that she is being abducted by and experimented on by aliens and shit goes wrong from there. It sort of starts with these weird experiences of missing time that she has where it's like, She'll start one place and then randomly end up in a totally different place at a totally different time. And she doesn't know how she got there. Um, And it's all somehow tied to her love of horses. And it's again, it's this isn't a perfect movie. I think there's some twists in it that you may seem coming that you may see coming and or some twists that like may not be completely satisfying, but as far as just like weird shit with some really weird shit in it, highly recommended. All right. Yeah. That's another gotta, Netflix. That's another Netflix movie, by the way. I, I got to make more time. This, yeah. dude, this shit, this shit is like, uh, we need to get a deal with these fuckers because I was going to mention just very quickly, uh, talk about like, I don't know about flawed and I think it even has fucking Oscar Isaac in it. I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not sure, but, um, I saw it and I loved it. Yes, it does. Fucking uh, Triple Frontier. Oh, that movie's Dude, so fucking good. It's on Netflix, and yep. it's literally Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac. Just it's a, it's got it's it's Pedro, Pedro Pascal, Pascal Pedro Charlie Pascal. Hunnam. Yeah. Dude. Dude, Jesus. it's got big ass actors in it, and they just play some dudes who basically they have all this experience and soldiered them, but they're not making no money stateside, and they have this big opportunity to go pull a job basically over there, wherever there is. Well, and they got. I, I'm sorry, yeah. I just I'm going to take it one step further, and because I know this isn't really they established this right off in the movie, they're essentially going to rob a drug lord. It's, yeah, it's yeah. like it's like a group of five essentially Navy SEALs who are all retired and who are all struggling and they're like, well, fuck, why don't we just use our Navy seal skills to go rip off a rich drug Lord and steal all of his fucking money. And, I mean, uh, legitimately, I, it's surprising to me that that doesn't happen more often. 100%. <laughs> yeah. The way they treat fucking veterans in this fucking country. I'm surprised they're not like, Oh, you, this is what you're going to do. Okay. Yeah. I'm stealing all your shit. I, I mean, to sell those mercenary magazines. I, I think it is. It is a key fantasy. But in this one, it's interesting that like you expect just a kick ass action movie, maybe a little bit of hometown guys talking to each other because they do do a lot of characterization. But when the shit gets snafu'd and it is really fucked up what happens yeah. it's like damn it's like but the the you know punishment for the wages of sin. You know what I mean? Like you're just really that's what you get. There's a lot of that's what you get in that movie. You know what I mean? 
that movie also goes further and stays more realistic than it has any reason to. Yes. It's like, you know yes. what I mean? Because it's like, as we're talking and you're listening, if you haven't seen it, I think you're probably getting a picture in your head of what the movie is. And I'll just say, no, no, that's the first half of the movie. Right. Like there's, there's a whole nother hour nice. and change Dude. beyond the point of what you're picturing. Dude. It no, turns into the this. treasure of Sierra Madre, sort of. Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying. It's just it's it's it becomes this whole other thing about money and about duty and about effort. You know what I'm saying, and about that cutting your losses or not, and yeah. all these different things. It's like ah, it's and and that's what I'm talking about about these movies that like take you through real human emotions because I think there's a people have noticed, you know, uh, besides your disclaimer at the beginning, Bill, there is yeah. a paucity of like Marvel and DC and you know, action franchises on this list because I think they would have been left out regardless because I don't feel in a lot of these things the way that I feel in these other movies and these other products and honestly i've i've always maintained because i was told this in film school and it, it has resonated with me that all movies are are emotion machines mm -hmm. they're just these things that people craft in order to manipulate your emotions and to me especially as i get older the less a movie actually accomplishes that the less successful i think it is like, yeah, I, I yep. want to have a cathartic experience. And uh, by the way, um, I just want to mention to everybody who's listening right now, we will try our best to put a list of the movies we talked about in the, the, the notes so that you can go look them up and watch them. And also, we've been talking about um, doing some future episodes on basically what we're calling blind spots of, of our own. Um, mm -hmm. Like, like for instance, I'm kind of have a horror blind spot. Um uh, what was yours, Bill? Uh, anime, anime, and even manga. Like I just have not, I have not even read or seen Akira, and so I know that that's a huge uh, one that I need to get to. But I'd love other people to give me some recommendations for like where should I start that journey. Um, and you know what? As much as I do like action movies, I think uh, a big blind spot I have right now that is not going away. Like help me to find new action movies to like, because mm. between like the ones in America and like all the 50 billions that are made all around the world, it just seems like there's so much of it. They're so daunting. I just want to get a nice list of really kick ass action movies. The plots make sense. And if the plots don't make sense, the action scenes are over the top. Awesome. Just give me yeah. a list of one of those that I'd love that. I mean, action movies that move you too, just like we've been talking about, like mm -hmm. we, we've talked about this before in, in when we've talked about movies in general, but like when an action scene is the best, when it hits it, hits it the best, it also has an emotional sense to the action. Whatever's happening, there's a, an, an emotional, uh, an emotion behind it that drives, drives the action and, mm -hmm. and it makes the action that much better. Um, we've used the Matrix moment where he realizes he's gonna believe in himself a tiny bit and turns around to fight the agent as a moment in that. Oh, it's yeah. a big deal. That's an emotional moment that hits there where he's finally made a decision to do something. And I think a lot of these movies have that sort of thing. Um, and I'm gonna talk about one right now. Uh, before that, you before you do, Ron, I just yeah. So we do want people to write in and and help us fill in these blind yeah. spots. Email the greatest pod at gmail.com. Um, yeah. We check it ourselves. We stay on top of it. You have to write the word email in the email address. <laughs> so it's 
email thegreatestpod at gmail.com if you want to contribute to helping us fix our blind spots. Yeah, so, all right, 100%. go ahead. Go ahead, well, Ron. What's one well, that, that you want to get movie, I was yes. realizing I do have another blind spot, and I actually think this is an important one. It's something we literally never talk about, and I think okay. that's good romance movies. Oh, mm. okay. Like good movies that are romantic that aren't cheesy romantic movies, but like like good movies about love. There's so there's I mean, so few like sweeping romances, you know, Titanic English patient style romances that no that are made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, so if you guys have some of that, I want to watch some of those and then talk about that in an episode at some point because I think that would be uh, interesting. Also, I just want to make Ed watch. Ro- a couple of romantic movies <laughs> motherfucker i was about to talk about the goddamn phantom thread in here baby oh that, shit yeah. that motherfucker is a goddamn sweeping romance sweeping a lot of shit under the rug uh, a lot <laughs> a lot a lot of crazy shit is going on in there and it's about like a dude discovering like uh, it's it's about two people finding out that they're perfect for each other and not because of anything I've ever seen in a romantic comedy before or, or romantic drama before these yeah. people fit together for a reason I've never seen dramatized ever in my entire life. So that that's a big one in that movie. That's I would awesome. agree. I mean, that movie is also Paul Thomas Anderson at the height of his visual powers. Um, Cause I could care less about how couture like I clothes and, and, and designer right. clothes and custom right. clothes. But holy shit, do I find that movie to be absolutely enthralling. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. That's, maybe that's one of the ones I need to watch then. Um, on top of that, uh, one of the ones we were talking about with emotional moments in um, action is, uh, and it's a movie we've talked about before, but I just want to bring it up real quick and we can knock it out. But I, mm-hmm. I really do think it's an important one for people to watch. And that's Nobody. Because that movie was so fucking fun and so funny and the when he finally gets in the first fight that he gets in and he decides to stand up for himself you really feel that that was the right thing for him to do at that moment and i just loved that in on the bus you know what i'm talking about Ed? <laughs> i i well, know what you're talking about well, I mean, look, nobody is one of those things where it it does have the John Wick engine in it, but the way that they dramatized this dude's coming back was 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 um it was unique and I thought Derek Coldstad just I love that guy. He is a brand. This is what we're talking about. These guys who have had a little bit of a career to be able to get some runway to be like, okay, this is how I do it. There's going to be secret societies. There's going to be tattoos that mean stuff. There's going to be dudes who know that that guy's a badass and dudes who are unaware and the dudes who are unaware are going to get super fucked up. It's all built on the same engine, but it's like amazing when he's, when he's driving, when I think, uh, some heart song is playing when he gets inside a muscle car and starts fucking dudes up. It's, it's the tits. Uh, yeah. It's it, that, that movie. I think we've talked about it on more than one episode of this podcast, so we don't need to belabor it here, but nobody one. I, I like it better than the John wick franchise myself. I'm not going to speak for Ed on that one, but to me, especially with sort of the unsuspecting action hero in the form of Bob Odenkirk, like I, I adore that movie. I think it's fantastic. Well, it's another thing about a dude that pat, that picks good stuff. 
And oh, I'm gonna start. Okay, this I'm just gonna kick a hole in our time limit really quickly because there's two movies that my main man Jake Gyllenhaal made mm-hmm. that I just think show that he is for real the man. And I, I haven't uh, seen uh, the most recent one that was he's like in a room by himself or something. He's like an operator. Yeah, I haven't that seen that movie. That one's okay. I've seen yeah. it. It's okay. He, and he I, I yeah. mean, he's fantastic. So he mm-hmm. does the best he can with that movie. But go on. What do, what do you like? No, and I also haven't seen the ambulance movie because I do believe he's in there too. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I haven't seen that shit. But I'm going to go back to I'm just stretching the rules a little bit. Go ahead. And 20 motherfucking 14, he makes Nightcrawler. Ugh. Nightcrawler is a modern movie. Nightcrawler yeah, is a movie from 2022, 2025, 2027. Yeah. Nightcrawler is amazing. It's about the media. It's about our 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 greed, not just for money, but for the devastating experiences of other people, seeing them hurt, seeing being the first on the scene to see a baby on fire or whatever the fuck. We're so obsessed with being the first to see this and getting getting whatever death, whatever monstrousness, whatever passes for news piped directly to our eyes. We're so greedy for it. And there's so much money to be made by giving that to people, by scaring people. You know what I'm saying? That yeah. I just, it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful movie. And it's also frankly, an amazing movie about a simple guy that just found his niche. <laughs> just just a simple way- guy that found his niche. And all I'll say about that movie, to complement what you just said, to me, that is the modern day Taxi Driver. Yes. Like, that movie is the heir apparent to Taxi Driver. And yes, in that way, it is just about a simple guy who finds what he's good at in life. <laughs> yeah, which is fi- getting, to, getting to see. He buys a super fresh muscle car to get to the scenes of accidents and suicides and shit and murders faster than the mm. police and the other media so he can go into houses where like active crimes may be happening so he can get the very first footage to sell it to the media well and uh, speaking of selling it to the media let us not short shrift renee russo in that movie oh boy is the other side of the coin kind of enabling and encouraging him and you want to talk about a morally conflicted character in a movie that like you don't know whether to love her or hate her and just playing every note perfectly. Rene Russo fucking kills in that movie. It's amazing. Dude, yeah, I, I definitely got to watch that. I was listening to a Bill Simmons podcast, uh, Don't Hate Me, and um, he was talking about how Rene, Rene Russo is the best model-turned-actress of all time, bar none. Oh. And that's including every fucking body. Laura McCall, whoever the fuck you want to say. Whoever the fuck you want to say, not normal. Yeah, I think she started. Anyway, the point yeah, is, yeah, okay. uh, like, uh, fucking Lauren Hutton is who I meant to say. Okay. She had sort of had a gap in her teeth, and she was a big model in the seventies. She became an actress. Anyway, the point is, any of these people you had mentioned, Rene Russo's destroying them in the mm. line of fire. Rene Russo, baby, mm. fucking uh, Lethal Weapon five hundred. Rene Russo, just that beautiful fucking chin. Oh, goddamn. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. She, oh, she, oh, can, she can she can do it whenever. <laughs> Dude, she could do it whenever, whatever era you talk about. Uh, Rene, give me Rene Russo right the fuck now. Anyway, the point is uh, also Jake Gyllenhaal in 2016, just barely edging out, did a little movie called Nocturnal Animals. Mm. And it is directed by Tom Ford, I think the super designer or whatever. Now, yep. look, and I'm not even going to lie. It is one of those up your own ass esoteric movies. It is about people who liken their life 
to great literary fiction. It's about a guy who uh, one of the main plot points is a guy writing a scathing novel that has parallels to the, his former relationship. And his ex is reading the novel and coming to realizations about her ex while she's reading the novel. And it's like, wow, how up your own ass could that be? But fuck you. It's great. I love it. I love. I love it. And Jake Gyllenhaal acted his ass off. the The actors in the when she's reading the novel, you see that as a movie. So it's like two movies. I like got a movie within a movie, and that movie within a movie is some Cormac McCarthy. There is no justice in the world. Nihilistic craziness. And then we go to this effete movie where everybody's Hulk couture and A.B. Adams is looking so beautiful and she's living in these like she lives on Krypton, basically, like her house and wherever she's at, her art gallery that she's at. It all looks like she lives on Krypton and then she goes and she scurries away to read this novel that's set in like Paul Schrader, Cormac McCarthyville, where all this fucked up horrific shit is happening. And it's having a perfect parallel to things that are happening in her life and choices that she's made and things that she's she's done from this guy's perspective so it's like i don't know man i don't, can't tell it better than that it's fucking good it's a good movie it's one of the one of these things that might stand the test of time i have not seen that and uh you're selling me on it because i was on the yeah. fence but it was that tom ford kind of like let me luxuriate in my shots type of yes. approach that i was kind of dreading and yes. so the fact that it gets over that hump, I, I'm down. Yeah, it's yeah. you get to see a lot of that, but it's also counterbalanced with some just fuck, dude. <laughs> so mm. yeah, I, it, it's it's like real life intruding upon the perfectly quaffed reality that Tom Ford prefers, right? So yeah. like a lot a lot of that drama is it's like he's acquiescing to the fact that real life doesn't necessarily comport with the beautiful uh, liminal spaces he likes to shoot. I like I like that a lot. That's a, that's actually that's a really self-aware thing for a filmmaker to do. And especially when you're talking about a very artsy filmmaker, a lot of the times they won't interrogate their own, uh, let's call it their own indulgences. And so that's really interesting that he sort of creates a narrative that's all about that. Uh, that that yeah. makes me a lot more interested in that in that movie. Well, like I said, you're gonna find yourself up the artist's ass, but just take a left. Sure, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Avoid the prostate. It's in, it's it's engorged. Uh, well, you know. Hey, I haven't been able to make a dick joke, so I had to make a butthole joke. Apparently, fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm uh, just so looking, people just I'm so people don't list. think we uh, omitted it. We did talk about Get Out at length. Uh, last episode when we talked about greatest horrors. So if you want to hear yeah. our thoughts about Great Out, uh, obviously Get Out is in this list of greatest movies in the last five years by far. Uh, it, even the things we didn't talk about last time, like the fucking cinematography. I think that's one thing that people don't appreciate about Jordan Peele's whole oeuvre from Key and Peele all the way up to this is it always looks pristine. And not only does it look pristine, it looks like it's supposed to look to elicit the emotion you wanted to elicit. Yeah, I I think that it's easy to overlook that because the writing and the performances are so kind of like idiosyncratic and just tasty. It's like that's that's the meal that you think you're going there for. But even if you look at something like Nope, I mean, he shot some of Nope on like 70 millimeter film. Like he was Christopher Nolaning that shit. And it's gorgeous. Like it yeah. is it's beautiful work. Um, and I think that's the other thing. When you when you deal with filmmakers who aren't working with like every other frame is CG or like 
we have, you know, we're spending $250 million to build outrageous sets. That doesn't mean that they're not milking like really profoundly beautiful visuals from either shooting on location or just composing people in the frame. And, and one movie that I know has gotten very, um, has gotten its, its it was lauded. It, I think it was nominated for a Best Picture Oscar and several other Oscars. Um, but Jane Campion's Power of the Dog, which was mm-hmm. a Netflix movie and featured a very suspect American accent from Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get that right out of the way. If you can look past that, that is a gorgeous movie that's shot on location. I think they shot it on location in either like Montana or North Dakota, like big sky country. Mm. There's a certain part of me that feels like they may have been using like Eastern Europe to sub in for those locations. If so, it sells that, that space better than almost any other movie I've seen that's set in that place. Um, And is also like a very uh, satisfying character study but visually, that movie is just fucking fantastic. It's set like turn of the 20th century, you know, uh, early 1900s in sort of that big sky frontier country. And it, it really luxuriates and juxtaposing the fact that, like, there's a lot of money and a lot of big business coming into the West. And so you're seeing men in suits and very finely appointed spaces. And the movie's really about, like, the locals and sort of the hard scrabble frontier way of life bucking up against that. And she milks everything she can out of the visuals. And it's, it's really something to watch. Well, the beauty of it was it was filmed in New Zealand. Oh, there you go. So it, yeah. it I'll just say it sells as Montana, like nobody's business. That's everyone's very surprised by it, but not surprised by it because New Zealand can, for some reason can sell almost everywhere from, and literally an elven island, a hobbit place, or Montana. So it's like the Georgia of Australia. That's right. <laughs> oh, dude, that is you are giving too much credit to Georgia in that comment. And I'm Australia saying, too. As far as all of this, okay, it's close to Australia. The the point is, uh, and that was a dig for for uh, uh, Kiwis. Uh, yes. But basically, the thing is, like, uh, dude. I'm telling you, they shoot everything in Atlanta, whether it needs to be or not, because of the tax yeah, break. True. So that's all I'm saying. This is like it's a place where people sometimes, shoot shit. Sometimes they go to New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, desert places, I would like to talk about Palm Springs because we've talked about movies that are like, oh, they're way they've come up with this new way to tell a story. And it's so modern. Blah blah. Palm Springs is like, OK, it's Groundhog Day. But with these kids go. Yeah. and and it's good it's really fucking good and really well acted really well directed and really well shot especially for the the limited resources that it's obvious that they have but it's it's like really nice it's like some of these movies are things that you could put on and just watch and i think that there's a paucity of those amongst people's great movie lists people always want to have some challenging you know, uh, Mishima type shit in front of them, you know, instead of just, Hey, is this movie pleasant to be around? And is it satisfying at the end? That's part of being great. And, and I think that's another movie that working within the strictures of something you've seen before gets really inventive, but it's more just inventive with like set pieces and, and gags and, and, you know, 
just it, it keeps you on your toes, not because you're like, holy shit, you're blowing my mind, but just because you're like, oh, that's really fucking clever. Like, I, I love that. And and mm-hmm. that that is sort of at the heart of any movie that's just a great one that you'd want to put on on a random Saturday afternoon to just have a good time. Yeah, 100%. Which, why, it is wild that the Groundhog Day concept works in so many movies. And TV shows in general, by the way. I, I'm just pointing it out. Like, I can't think of one where I'm like, oh, that sucked. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow was great. Oh, yeah. Um, what's the... Uh, it was a Happy uh, Death Day. Remember that one? A mm-hmm. Happy Death Day. Natasha Lyonne. Oh, um, yeah. Russian Doll. Yep. The Russian oh, yeah. Doll Russian Doll has yeah. been great. I mean, it's, it's, it's wild that it just works so well, but it does. And so when it's... I wonder if there's ones that have been done wrong that I just don't know. I bet there are. Well, dude, there was one, uh, 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 the one of the last short films that won the Oscar was actually one about this black dude who kept, he kept leaving this chick's house and getting murdered and then he kept oh, coming back. Yeah. And it turns out that it was like, it's an, it's an age old idea since like, I guess the beginning of, uh, you know, a lot of shit, but, uh, also this other lady had shot a similar product a long time ago. And the, anyway, the guy who wrote it was like a comic back in the days. And now he's like a, he's like a filmmaker. But anyway, the point is, yeah, that Groundhog's Day won an Oscar recently is what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I think that just speaks to like, it speaks to two things. Number one, like a very fundamental part of human psychology, which is like all of us have that feeling of, God, I wish I had that one back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh mm-hmm. God, I wish I would have done that differently. Like that is so universal that you just, yeah. it, you can't help but appreciate it. But also from a storytelling standpoint, like the classic hero's journey is essentially just putting a hero through the wash cycle until he learns what he needs to know to become a better person. And I mean, that, that is essentially just the groundhog day formula, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, instead of having to invent a bunch of other shit for him to go through, you create this very small group, you know, group of shit for lack of a better way to put it and just keep running it over and over until he learns his lesson. And like, it's, it's, it's just, both parts of it are completely universal, completely relatable to like everybody on the planet. Yep. Well, and uh, speaking of things that uh, have been done a lot and, but especially lately, uh, but had done, this is probably the most unique and I don't know, happy way it's been done was everything everywhere all at once. Oh, dude. Just that. That is the movie from this list that cracks my top 10 all-time films, right? Like for me personally, that movie has earned a place alongside The Godfather and Rocky and Casablanca and, sorry, Ed, The Dark Knight. And like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it's like, I don't, I don't know the exact order that I would put these in, but you're talking like, just in my opinion, just straight masterpieces that I don't have any problems with at all. And I've, I've sucked its dick before on the podcast, but like, if you haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, let me just tell you as somebody who has dealt with really severe depression, like that is one of the most accurate and also most hopeful uh, portrayals of dealing with deep depression that I've ever seen put on screen. And like, 
I, I also, I think, watched it at sort of just the right time for myself. And it just wrecked me emotionally in the best way. So going back to what I said before, like if a movie is not giving me that emotional roller coaster, it's not a success. This movie is an all time success. So I'll leave it at that for myself. Yeah, I honestly can't add too much more. I, I, I'm, I'm impressed. What I pr- impressed me so much about that movie was that it, it, it did all the things that I would want a multiverse comic book movie to do, while also handing handing me a relationship between two, a parent and a daughter, and a husband and a wife, and a bazillion different types of relationships that I not only related to, but really hit me in the gut feeling like that, that was, what was so impressive to me was like, I got this great, what felt like an action movie, even though it kind of wasn't an action movie, even mm-hmm. though it was an action movie. It's just wild how well that all went down. I, you know, well, I think, I think the thing it shares for me, and I'm sorry, I know I said I'd shut up, but you just made me think of this, Ron, like, it shares with some of the all-time great movies of all time. Yes, it has just amazingly drawn relationships between extremely round characters, but it does that within a larger thesis. And the whole movie is sort of about like, how do you deal with the fact that you don't matter? You know what I mean? And it's like, yes. I think so much of, of movies in general want to sell us the opposite truth that like, no, you matter and anyone can be a hero. And, you know, with the right circumstances, you know, you will be somebody that we can tell stories about. And like this movie at its core is trying to tell you the opposite that like, not only do you exist within this infinite multiverse where like you don't matter in the story, but I think thematically it's like, it's trying to tell you that no matter how desperate and dire your circumstances get, like the world might not care. And like that nihilism to me has always been like the ultimate adversary of being human. And this was one of the first movies I ever saw that like literalized that struggle and fucking nailed it. And like, I just can't, I can't say enough good things about it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a singular work. It's, it's made by uh, two people like vibing harder than I think I've ever seen (laughs) since that's like early Wachowskis. You know what I mean? Just two people vibing that hard. I I haven't seen it in a long time. So totally agree with that. Um, Are we going to mention uh, some, as we round out the discussion, I do want to mention like near misses, like the Irishman, I think people mm-hmm. shit on the Irishman so hard. It's like Scorsese's trying to hit a target that only he could see, and he missed it a little bit. You know, like the whole the three hours thing. And plus, he was playing with his toys. You can't let the old man play with a new toy. He's making <laughs> his buddies young again. There's like, dude, get, dude, wait till your ass is seventy something. You got a chance to make you and your best buddies young again and run around and jump around on screen and shit. And people gonna give you three hundred fucking million dollars to do it. You're gonna do it. You know, so I, I I just all that said, as a piece of art, I think it shares um, a lineage with another movie I want to talk about, Promising Young Woman, mm-hmm. whereas when it ends, 
you go, wait a goddamn minute. That's not what that's what mm-hmm. both of those movies, you do that. And I think we need more art that does that. You can't always be skipping out of the fucking theater all the fucking time. Life doesn't work that way. And, and I just, I really applaud both of these movies for, yeah, sometimes you kill for your buddies forever and you don't even get to, to eat spaghetti with ketchup like like Henry Hill does and make podcasts about how you used to fucking watch people get capped and steal stuff from Latunsa and all the shit. You might not even get that. Yeah, You might get a less than a guy who worked an honest job. You might get less than the auto workers that, ironically enough, they were doing all this Teamster shit to, to support. If you had just had an honest gig, you might have been in a way better situation than you did. But you killed everybody, you killed your best friends, and you end up the way that Robert De Niro ends up in that movie. It's sobering as fuck on that gangster shit in a way that I haven't seen for years. So in that respect, it's amazing. I, I loved The Irishman, actually. I mean, yes, it's long, but it doesn't drag. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like you're sitting there going, oh, my God, they keep doing this. Like, it's long because for whatever reason, Scorsese decided to tell that guy's entire life story, like literally from his childhood to his deathbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot like there's a lot of movie in there, but it's fucking Scorsese. And like he knows how to tell a fucking story mm-hmm. and no, he's not an indie film guy. But like, again, if you're talking about somebody that you want to give the benefit of the doubt to, it's fucking Martin Scorsese. So yeah. and it's Irish, a good movie. It's a good to movie. To be clear, it's a yeah. good movie. And that is what we're talking about, by the way, guys. Like, I think we've done a great job just proving to you with just this hour that the past five years have had interesting, diverse movies that really were a quality of, of, of multitudes from looking cool to um, pulling on your heartstrings to having great fight scenes to having a complicated plot, to being artistic and esoteric, we've we've hit everything pretty much. I I, I just and oh. I just think it proves. I think it proves that it does exist. Oh yeah, and just just to not not give a uh, promising young woman short shrift. It is also promising young woman represents to me mm-hmm. one of the best um, emergences of this sort of frankly woman and woman identifying crowd of people who are into like murder and the justice that happens after murder sometimes but not always and the story of that and all that shit it's a movie that's like manifesting that that exact energy of like just justice at all costs justice from all different directions you know what i'm saying trying to figure out how to get um how to get what you're due within Mm -hmm. the structures of the law working against you and this working against you and how much more evidence you have to gather to, to stop anybody from, you know, to, to, to get people to listen to you and all this different shit. All of those things are manifest in this movie and it isn't a happy flick because if it was, it wouldn't be true. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, it, it's, it's a big one for me in the last five years, especially as far as emotional roller coaster. And again, when you're, when you're like sitting there after it's over, you're just like, fuck dude. Yeah. In a, in a really good way that I think a lot of frankly dudes need to experience a lot more often when they leave movies. No, I, I thought that was a very sobering movie, but you know what I really liked about it? It was angry. Yeah. And you want to, you know, you want to talk about movies that can elicit emotions. Like, I love watching something that's just baldly angry. And if you're <laughs> going to make something that's polemical, which that is, I mean, it's really tackling an on the nose issue in an on the nose extreme way. 
don't be fucking coy about it. Like go mm-hmm. all in. And that movie fucking embraces what it is and does that. And for that reason, I love it. I, I I'll take an angry movie as long as you're doing it truthfully. Like mm-hmm. I fucking like that a lot. Yeah. Yep. I was going to say, Ed, you, you know, you're bringing up near misses. Um, two movies that I really liked that really don't have anything to do with each other, but are sort of, similar in that their endings both let down really, really good stories are Ridley Scott's The Last Duel Mm. and Lin-Manuel Miranda's Tick, Tick, Boom. Ah. Which, which, so both of those, I guess, share the similarity that they're based on true stories, um, you know, with some liberties taken. But if if you haven't watched The Last Duel because you just think it's Ridley Scott kind of, missing doing a uh you know a period epic something in the vein of like kingdom of heaven where it's like all right i get it like it's big and body but like it's not going to give me much in the end the last duel is not only filled with phenomenal performances like some of the best performances in a ridley scott movie in a good long while mm. but it's essentially a rashomon story like structurally mm. I don't know why they didn't advertise that, but the fact is like the movie is about this horrible incident and it literally shows you three people's point of views, which are wildly divergent in some ways and not in other ways. And like that ends up really mattering to the meat of the story. And it kind of shares some of that promising young woman anger as well. Mm. And like, I think as an emotionally true movie with really strong performances from the actors, a great visual palette and, and also like good emotion, uh, that weighty theme to it. Like you could do worse than the last duel. I think the biggest thing against it is it, it just ends in a way that's like, okay, like I was expecting something a little bit bigger than that, but it's not that it's unsatisfying. And I would say the same thing about Tick, Tick, Boom, which is famously based on an unfinished play, um, an an autobiographical play or musical written by the guy who then went on to write Rent um, and ultimately die of AIDS as Rent became a worldwide sensation. He was working on this very kind of cluttered, semi-autobiographical, but also very fantastical kind of meta musical about essentially creative block. And then he abandoned it before he finished to write rent. And so famously it, it was a real challenge for people to actually like try to take up to perform and to, to adapt. And I think Lin-Manuel Miranda does it about as well as it could be done. And Andrew Garfield just fucking kills as the lead and it only suffers because, as I just said, like there's no real ending to it because the ending is like he just moves on and then goes on to write one of the biggest musicals that was ever made. But this story chronicles him struggling to do anything meaningful with his life. And so the fact that it has an underwhelming ending is almost part of the gag because you kind of know what the actual ending is. It's really interesting. And it was another one of those movies that just kind of appeared on Netflix 
But like, it's so worth your time. I exhort everybody go see Tick Tick Boom. Nice, um, man. Netflix needs to give misses, us money. Uh, yeah, seriously, they do. Yeah. We're 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 promoting because I'm about to promote one more that I think we've actually <laughs> talked about. Um, Old Guard. Oh sure. Oh yeah. I, I and I think it's a near miss. I, I, it's it's fun. There's some great action in it. Mm-hmm. There's this concept of immortal beings having to deal with people finding out that they're immortal because they can still technically die um, or, or whatever, if things are bad enough, you know, but it's like they heal themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And, and there's like this, it's, it's a good movie. There's some good action in it, but it's also just like, I just remember watching it and feeling like you ever watch, go into a movie and you think, shit. And then you leave the money and you were like, that was fine. Honestly, I think that movie suffers from the fact that they're clearly trying to st- set up a franchise. Uh, so the and they ending, are they are making a number two at some point, supposedly. So yeah. So the ending is kind of this non-committal thing where it's like, all right, we kill the bad guy, but like you know, all the characters' stories aren't necessarily ended, so there's room to move on. And like that I think is is the one thing that's working against that movie. That's probably what it is. That's the weakness of trying to make a a franchise. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, speaking of like some movies that are just supposedly like uh, maybe some things that aren't supposed to be franchises. Bill, you and I differ on this movie, but I want to give you a chance to talk about it. Uh, Underwater. (laughs) So I'm not going to say that Underwater is a fantastic movie. I loved the visual palette of underwater, mm-hmm. which is essentially alien, but in at the bottom of the ocean, it's just alien at the bottom of the ocean. And the monster is not really alien, but 78% of that movie is just alien in. It's not a submarine. It's like a, it's a, it's an underwater research base, but in the grand alien tradition, I thought it was visually spectacular. I thought as a collection of cannon fodder characters to be murked in a monster movie, some of the most enjoyable I've seen in a long time in a horror movie. Um, And I just thought there was a lot of really inventive stuff in that movie for what is ultimately a very formulaic uh, genre thriller. Um, But for the visuals alone, and because, I mean, I like Kristen Stewart. I lo- I know he's problematic, but I like um, what's his face who plays Ehrlich in in uh, oh, T.J. Miller. T.J. Oh, Miller. Yeah. I like T.J. Miller. They've got fucking uh, uh, Lahane, the the French guy. Yeah, um, Vinny Vinny Cassell. Vinny Cassell is in that movie. Like it's such a weird arrangement of actors, but they all are enjoyable. Um, and so for that reason, like if you're looking for a good monster flick, fucking watch underwater it, I'm not going to say it's going to blow your mind, but mm-hmm. it's another one of those movies that came and went and needed a little bit more recognition than it got. Yeah, no, I look, I'm going to, some of the ones that I want to put on my list are like that. I, I think it's uh kind of that way with werewolves within that's yep. another one for me where it's yep. just like, ah, fuck, this is so close to being like something that blew the doors off. But X is missing or yes. Y is missing. You know what I'm yes. saying? And I kind of feel that way about X 
I, I saw, you know, I saw X and I was like, ah, this is like so close to being exactly what I want to see. Ah! Dude, here's what I'll say about X, um, which has some choice movie nudity, which we always like. Mm-hmm. Ron, take note. Oh, huge <laughs> fan. But now I'm um, gonna have to watch this. <laughs> that it's look, it's it's a it's an interesting uh take on like a 70s Texas Chainsaw Massacre style slasher movie. Mm-hmm. And to the point that visually, like they're making I don't know if they actually shot it on 16 millimeter film, but it definitely looks like they did. Yeah, yeah. Um Pearl, which is sort of the sequel slash prequel to X, is the far superior movie actually a pretty tour de force both performance from mia goth and just film in general um the guy who wrote it and direct ty west is the writer director yep um really works well pearl and so they're making a third one called maxine about the surviving character from x who i just think that the third one if it follows the trends is going to be out of sight so start with x Really get your full meal with Pearl, and then get ready to watch Maxine when it comes out in the next year or two. Nice, yeah. And it, oh wait, and just really quickly, as well as we're talking about near misses, I got to bring up Morbius. That's <laughs> <laughs> it. Was almost good. It was almost good. Yeah, you know. Just That's what we're going to be saying about Craven in a minute. To watch <laughs> oh my fucking I tried to watch it because it was like, oh, it's on Netflix. And I started watching it and I was like, what in the fuck is happening? This is <laughs> so bad. <laughs> okay, to, to palate cleanse from that, we this is one that we have I'm almost about mad before. at you right now, Ed, for making me think about <laughs> what, what happened to me when I tried to watch that. You son of a bitch. Well, in the spirit of Christmas, which is sure, two months sure. away. Violet Night, baby. That Ooh, if if we did not yeah. know people involved with that that movie, we'd still be still all on that it. movie's jock because it is every Shane Black, uh, Jeb Stewart, uh, you know these these the Je- Stephen E. D'Souza, all these guys rolled into one writing a fucking like a heist slash diehard slash thing with fucking Santa in it as the hero. That's John McClane. Again, if you're one of those people who are like, ah, I'm just easily turned off by stuff. I'm Ed Greer, man. You know, <laughs> like if you're one of those types, it's like, ah, Santa, that's fucking dumb. The point is it's fucking dumb. And when you, and when you see hardened criminals have to realize that Santa Claus, the Santa Claus is whooping their ass it's glorious cinema. Period. It really is. It really is. We watched it a couple. I actually saw it a couple times because we went with our friends who who wrote it, and then I just went by myself a couple times because it was so fun. I just had a fucking great time watching it. So I definitely uh, that is definitely at the top of my list of movies you should just watch because this is just it's just so fun. It looks cool. You got these great villains. You got Santa who doesn't really want. You got your reluctant hero who doesn't want to be your hero. He's sick of this shit. Being Santa bullshit. Fucking whatever. He's drunk. <laughs> yeah. Asshole. And it's fucking. Yep. It's just great. It's just a, such a great fun ass movie and concept that was well done that our friends made. It's so rad. So you should go see it and well or watch it or whatever. One hundred percent. I I co-sign that completely. I'm just gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna class up the joint here with two recommendations that I won't say a ton about, but worth seeing. The first one got a lot of press, but I think Tar lives up to the hype. Mm. It's very much a Kate Blanchett showcase. Um, 
if you don't know what it's about, kind of you're better going in to watch it. But it starts as what seems like a very meandering indie film character study. And by the end of the movie, you're kind of like, oh, holy shit. Like this movie was really about something. It just in no way follows um, the save the cat beat sheet of like how a movie is supposed to be structured. But if you haven't seen Tar and you have the patience for a more art housey type flick, fucking watch Tar. It's a fantastic movie. The okay, other and, one, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh, just I just had one point on Tar because I actually I have seen it, and um, I I saw Twitter discourse about it. Don't let Twitter discourse about it fuck you up because there was some bullshit about like uh, something about how one of the characters ends up in like an Asian country, and they're like, oh, why'd that character end up in an Asian country? That's that's like racist. Oh, that's Jesus. so bad that they ended up. The whole point of it is that from their perspective that would be a denigrating thing to happen to them. And also it's acknowledging that if somebody is low key canceled, there's a lot of places in the world you can go and still make money, but they don't allow a lot of people in this world. Don't give a fuck. If some Americans on Twitter cancel you, yeah, they do not give a fuck in yeah. so many different countries that but have weirdly. so much fucking money. So just don't be bothered by that unless it's human trafficking or something, then fuck you. But like, if you do some weird shit and you get fucked over and you, there's a bunch of countries that'll accept you go to Budapest and (laughs) learn the language. You'll be able to do some shit. Yeah. And Texas, you'll be fine in Texas. (laughs) That's great. That is great. The other one, the other one I, I did want to talk about though, which is a movie that I think is criminally overlooked, especially given who stars in it is a movie called news of the world. Um, stars Tom Hanks and is directed by Paul Greengrass, most Jeez. famous for the Bourne movies, mm-hmm. uh, but has also done some spectacular work with Green Zone, which was an Iraq war movie, and obviously Captain Phillips, which was about um, the Somali pirates taking over the cargo ship, also starring Tom Hanks. News of the World has none of his documentary style shaky cam aesthetic, which I think turns off a lot of people. But I always feel like he operates that shaky cam like fucking George Miller operates, you know, whatever cameras he uses. Like it may make you sick, but you will never get visually lost in a Paul Greengrass movie the same way you will in any other shaky cam movie because the man just knows how to shoot and cut. That's beside the point because News of the World is an old West story and it's shot like a fucking Terrence Malick movie. Like it's, it's cameras on sticks, slow dolly moves, big, wide, expansive shots. But it's about this guy who is essentially a newsreader in the 1800s in the West. And so at a time, even before radio, this dude just travels from town to town with a knapsack full of newspapers and reads newspapers to illiterate frontiersmen. Wow. Wow. It's a it's a really weird concept, but it, it like you start watching it, you're like, holy shit, this is re-, like it's a perfect way in to a real slice of like of life of what life was like in the West. It does end up turning into sort of a Pedro Pascal story, in that there is a orphaned little girl who plays into what the actual plot is. 
that's almost beside, I mean, that works and the little girl is great. And like, it milks a lot out of a very simple plot. Um, but it's really more about the performances and the, the settings and the cinematography and just being able to sort of lose yourself in this very authentic portrayal of the old West in a way that you've never seen it portrayed before. So news of the world, very worth your time from a master filmmaker and a master actor. Don't pass it up. All right. Nice. Yeah. So anything you guys think we missed or we, or did we hit it? Did we, did we hit it? I think we hit it. I mean, we hit it there. We could keep going about all this shit, but it's like, you know, maybe we'll do a round two with more suggestions, but I, I, th- I agree with you, Ron. I think we really made our point that like good movies, like movies that stack up against all time classics are still getting made every single year up to this day. So, like, don't be cynical. Just seek this shit out when Netflix and Amazon drop it unceremoniously on a random Tuesday. That's all That's I'm right. saying. 100%. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And and as you scroll through all of the, um, the, the back matter in your different streaming services, just know, like, uh, some of the ones that give you, like, a 4.5 and 3.0 and all these ratings and shit – uh, sometimes that's pretty legit, but things that are above like a five, come on, man. It depends on your taste at that point. If it's 5.5 or above or maybe six point something, don't be a dick. Don't, don't, mm. don't wait on things. Cause like, uh, I think the Tom Ford joint was like a 7.5 out of 10 or something. It's just like, to me, that's so much more than a 7.5 out of 10 as far as how it emotionally moved me. But that's my matrix. You need to like trust your matrix. Trust the fact that you might find something that hits you in the feels the way that some of these movies hit us in the feels and just giving yourself that extra chance to like something new. Uh, and, and, and if you're, you're real, real pusillanimous, just listen to what we said and go look at them and you're going to disagree. <laughs> That's one thing you can do sure. is uh, disagree with us in the form of a five-star review. <laughs> It'd be <laughs> awesome to do that because obviously we're trying to make that a back and forth. We're trying to really engage with our, with our people. And you can also join the Patreon. We talk to the people on the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the greatest pod. And, uh, on top of that, you could, uh, if you want to support us in another way or support me specifically, could buy my comedy album on the wing of a dragon it's pretty fucking great so check out my album um also you can come see us at comic-con uh december 2nd Um, la comic-con la comic-con los angeles comic-con december 2nd if you are listening to this and you are coming to that con we are doing uh two panels one is the greatest pod and one is the um um nerdy stand-up for adults so come to both of those and check them out and uh and you know be our friends because you know do the stuff that helps us grow this really good show that keeps you thinking and gives you ideas to expand your love of creativity how about that you know here's an extra incentive something i'm thinking of doing for comic-con because obviously we're not displaying we don't have a booth but we will be there and we will be stalking the halls I'm thinking of maybe just making some like limited edition prints of some of the uh, fan art that I've done, you know, of some of some classic characters. And if you find me and ask for one, maybe I'll just give you one. Like, you know, I'm just going to have I think I might just have a backpack with, you know, maybe 25, 30 nice high quality prints of some of my art and uh, come find me. Bug me. I might give them away. Yeah. So, dude, and you getting anything from Bill signed that he's drawn and it's an original like print. Dude, there's this 
run is going to be like 25 of them in the fucking future when you're t- selling us to Sotheby's you could say yeah there was like 25 of these made I was one of the people blah blah dude Bill's going to be a great graphic novelist I know it I feel it I've seen his work I've seen what he's doing right now so get fucking on it for real and uh, I might have a f- four prints of some big booty ladies I'll just throw them on the ground um, so- <laughs> me, and, me and Ed are going to trade if nothing else we're going to swap prints <laughs> we can have a big booty lady with a gun on your wall it's like, exactly. yeah a tribute to my friendship with Ed Green <laughs> every time I wake up I see that booty I think of friendship <laughs> I'm hanging it on the ceiling right above my bed <laughs> I got the biggest booty spider Gwen right back here. <laughs> awesome. So uh so thanks again for listening to another independent and not uh formulaic inventive maverick creative episode of The Greatest uh, Motherfucking Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's like Jack Jack Palance from uh, Batman 89. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.